you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to turn to Psalm 42, as we'll be meditating briefly on that psalm this afternoon. <coughs> Excuse me. So we consider the Word of God, Psalm 42. Now, psalm 42 is a lament. Its authorship is actually unknown, but the reference in verse 4 to... <coughs> Excuse me. The reference in verse 4 to leading the procession of worshipers to the house of God hints that this was uh, either someone perhaps like King David or Solomon or uh, a Levite. So maybe a king who had, uh, who had led the procession to worship, but also perhaps one of the Levites who would serve the priests in the tabernacle or temple. And that makes some sense with uh, the caption. The caption says, to the, choir master, to the choir master, a maskil of the sons of Korah. <clears throat> so to the choir master, as we've noted many times before, it indicates that this was written with public worship in mind. Uh, maskil indicates this is a contemplation, uh, something to be thought on uh, relatively, uh, or, or reflectively, I should say, or the psalmist reflections on the Lord. So it's a maskil, it's a time of contemplation. Uh, and of the sons of Korah, uh, could mean for the sons of Korah, some think. You may recall that Korah was the Levite who led a rebellion against Moses uh, in the wilderness, and he and his household and followers were all consumed by fire from the Lord or swallowed up by the earth. Uh, that's in Numbers 16, but Numbers 26 verse 11 uh, tells us that Korah had sons who did not participate in his rebellion against Moses and so did not die uh, in that uh, judgment of the Lord that he brought upon the followers of Korah. Korah's descendants had the responsibility of leading the singing in the temple. Uh, so this caption could indicate that David or someone wrote this psalm for the sons of Korah to sing, but but all psalms that were written to be sung in public worship would have been sung by the sons of Korah, and we don't accept that psalms of David are simply psalms about David, but they're by David. So the best understanding is probably that a son of Korah, that some of, or some of the sons of Korah collaborated and wrote this uh, psalm, and the caption indicates the psalm came from that clan of the tribe of Levi. The psalm, as I said, is a lament. <coughs> It's an expression of mourning, of sadness. And there are two major sections to it. There are three if we count Psalm 43, which most Bible scholars think was originally part of the same psalm. And the first section is verse 1 through 5, in which the psalmist expresses his situation in terms of thirst. And then the second section, verses 6 through 11, expresses the lament in terms of drowning. So either not enough water or too much water. So the, the first section about thirst begins, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Perhaps you have experienced a time when you had trouble communing with God, when he seemed absent from your life. And you'll notice that the psalmist here doesn't think that God has ceased to exist or never existed or anything of the kind. He says he's the living God. And that's who he thirsts for. 
And no one could sing these words with more accuracy than our Lord Jesus when he experienced forsakenness on the cross. And because he did that, because he experienced forsakenness, you won't. So even if you can sing this psalm because you feel as if God is not present or you're unaware of God's presence, it's never true that God is not present with you. He is ever present with you. The psalmist pictures himself like a deer here, though, exhausted and panting, desperate for water. The only thing which can satisfy this thirst is God himself. And we do, while we we don't want to doubt that God is present with us, it's honest for us to acknowledge when we note that God does not seem present or we can't discern his presence. And it's very good for God's people to thirst for him, to want him. We know that those who come to Christ in faith will ultimately never thirst. Jesus tells us this. He would give us fountains of living water pouring forth from us, by which John says he meant the Holy Spirit. But he says that those who come to him will never thirst. The psalmist describes the situation here, though, starting in verse 3. My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? So he's in a time of grief. He's feeding, so to speak, on his constant tears. Unbelievers mock him, asking, Where is your God? As they still do to any Christian, any time Christ's people experience adversity. Have you seen it? The people will ask, well, Where is your God now? Why did you have such, such confidence in him? And of course, We were never promised that we would live lives of ease in Christ. This is one of the the terrible uh, terrible evils of the word faith doctrine, which is a false doctrine that tells people that that if they uh, suffer, it's because they didn't have enough faith. And so that's a faith-killing kind of doctrine, that people think they've got faith in Christ, and then they experience adversity, and they they think, well, I, I must not have faith. Adversity will be part of a Christian's life in this world. But the psalmist here reflects, however, on his delight in public worship. In verse 4 he says, These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Public worship in the presence of God's people is a remedy for our grief like no other. It's one of the best things that we can do for ourselves at times of difficulty is to go and worship the Lord and be with God's people. And he reflects on that in this time of sorrow and say, oh, how wonderful it would be to be doing that now so that I could be comforted. As I'm pouring out my soul and I think of how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God. So as he reflects on public worship, he ends that first section about his thirst here for God with the refrain that ends each of the sections of this psalm in 42. It also ends Psalm 43. Why, do you, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? So he asks himself that question as he reflects on God and as he reflects on public worship. How could I be cast down? He asks himself, why are you so cast down? Yes, things are 
trouble, troubling now in life. But he answers himself, hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Whatever suffering I experience in this life, it is but temporary, and there's such great glory promised for God's people in the world to come. When your soul is cast down, reflect on the Lord, worship Him. Eagerly look forward to praising Him again. Be very eager to get into public worship. The psalmist corrects himself before his grief turns to despair and says, Hope in God. God will keep His promises. Look forward to the fulfillment of those promises, including that His people will dwell with Him, praising Him forever. I will praise Him forever, my salvation and my God. The second section begins in verse 6 and describes the situation as a case of too much water. So we've had not enough water, we've had thirst, now we've got too much water, rather than not enough. The psalmist declares, my soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and from Hermon, and of Hermon and from Mount Miser. This is, a, this is something of a transitional verse. He's reminded himself to hope in God. And now he states that because his soul is cast down, he's acknowledging the truth of that situation. You notice that that just telling himself, hope in God, uh, doesn't immediately uh, get rid of the cast down uh, nature or situation of his soul, that cast down condition. You can't just tell somebody who's feeling depressed, well, cheer up. That doesn't cheer them up, right? But if they do focus themselves on the Lord, the, the depression does lesson. It says, and he now states that because his soul is cast down, he's going to remember the Lord. He will remember the Lord. From the land of Jordan and Mount Hermon. And this begins to transition into the the part that talks about flooding. Because Mount Hermon is where the headwaters of the Jordan flowed from. And uh, when there was heavy rain on Mount Hermon, or when the snows of Mount Hermon melted, the Jordan would flood. So every spring, for example, there, the Jordan would overflow its banks, and it was a time of that of year when the Jordan was overflowing. Indeed, that Joshua led the people of God across the Jordan, and they walked on dry ground, which even heightened the 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 miracle that was happening there. That, that God caused that overflowing Jordan to recede and to stop its flow, so that they could walk on dry land, into the promised land. So when there was heavy rain, when there was the snow melting, the Jordan would flood uh, because of the rains or the melting snow on Mount Hermon. So there's an association with flooding there. No one actually knows where Mount Mizar is, though. Uh, This is the only mention of it in Scripture. And it could be that it's a hill near the, the foot of Mount Hermon. Some people think that or near the headwaters of the Jordan, and so it might be associated with the Jordan's flooding. But Mizar literally means small. And so this could simply be saying from the greatest height of the tallest mountain in the land, Mount Hermon, to the smallest hill, I remember God. But he then speaks of overwhelming floods as he's begun to transition by talking about Hermon and about the Jordan River. And he speaks here of waterfalls and a flooded river like the waves of the sea. Verse 7, Deep calls to deep. At the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me. So 
You've got water calling to water, deep calling to deep. You've got the, the picture of the waterfall, the flooded river, and the breakers and the waves of the sea. Notice they are God's breakers, though. Your breakers, your waves have gone over me. God is the one in control. And so, here the, the psalmist acknowledges that even when this adversity comes upon me, I know it's in God's control and it's for His good purposes. Your afflictions, if you trust in Christ, are sent by God for your good. It's a hard thing for us to acknowledge sometimes that our afflictions were sent by God. But they were sent for our good. He is steadfast in His love for His people. And so, in verse 8, the psalmist goes on and says, By day the Lord commands His steadfast love, and at night His song is with me. So they're your breakers, they're your waves, they're overwhelming me, and yet I know it's because of your steadfast love. And he says, a prayer to the God of my life. At night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. And as he remembers God's loving kindness, God's grace, he is all the more emboldened then to call upon God who he knows is his rock for help. So verses 9 and 10, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? The fact is, God does not forget his people. When he says, Why have you forgotten me? He's simply calling upon God to remember covenantally. God does not forget his people because Christ has suffered forsakenness for us. So again, so you may feel forsaken from time to time, but you never really are, because Christ was himself fully forsaken for you. Jesus, more than anyone, could sing these words as descriptive of his situation during his trial and his crucifixion, and say that he does feel forgotten, and that with deadly wounds... His people are, his adversaries are coming against him, saying to him, where is your God? Yet Jesus did not lose trust in the Lord, nor should you. So we too, by his grace, can remind ourselves during times of trouble, as the end of the psalm says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So let's indeed praise God with song now as we turn to the second selection, the B selection of Psalm 42. Let's stand together and sing praise to God, Psalm 42B.